This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. We're glad that you're joining us amid uh, what I would say are historical times, Lee. I'm Audrey mm-hmm. Strong, the Vice President of Communications here at Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. You know, it, it, with the, uh, the coronavirus crisis, uh, I learned something about myself just in the past week that I didn't know about myself. It's like, you know, I, I've always been a big fan of Tom Peters and, you know, uh, the, the, the term that he coined, management by wandering around. But, you know, I never really realized how much I actually do it till I didn't have any place to wander anymore. When it, you know, no one's working in the office, everyone's working from home any, around. It's like, and now I'm kind of uh, out of sorts. I, I, you know, I really want to know how I can continue doing what I've always done, but now I have to do it remotely. That's right. So we're going to ask for thoughts from the master. Tom Peters, co-author of In Search of Excellence, the book that really changed the way the world does business. Tagged as the best business book ever. Also the author of The Excellence Dividend. He's written 17 books, over three decades of leadership in this. Still at the front for, forefront of the management guru industry, the recipient of the Thinker's 50 Lifetime Achievement Award and creator, the creator of the Managing by Wandering Around. So Tom, thank you for coming to the phone on what's a difficult sure. week. I know. My pleasure. So what, what do you do when, you, when your team is all in separate locations? What's the solution? Well, I want to add one thing before I start. I, you said I was the creator of management, managing by wandering around, and I certainly was not the creator. Uh, my co-author of In Search of Excellence, Bob Waterman, and I uh, discovered it one fine morning in Palo Alto when we paid a visit to Hewlett Packard. Uh, and we're told about the HP way and perhaps the centerpiece of the HP way was MBWA managing by wandering around. Uh, my real answer is that I'm working on a new book and I started it out with managing by wandering around, but I see MBWA as a metaphor rather than a physical act. The MBWA point is informally creating a word or to steal from Rich Sheridan of Menlo Innovations, who wrote a book called Joy, Inc., and sincerely believes that a joyous workplace is uh, not, a, not a reach, but very much doable. So MBWA is, is attitude. And, you know, it is an attitude that, I mean, I, here's how far I would go. Uh, I would substitute MBPA managing by phoning about, but I would not substitute MPMA 
which would be managing by messaging around. Hmm. Uh, think. And again, the people who are listening to us and so on, uh, you're more, more than welcome to discount me 90% because I'm an old guy rather than a young guy but you will never convince me that the nuance of the human voice mm -hmm. is not a hundred times better than you could possibly do with an email or a message. Uh, vo voice has almost as much body language as the body does. You know, one of, one of the things I've said relative to MBWA writ large, uh, if you are running a 12 person team, and let's suggest it has some permanent permanence, not somebody who's just managing a three-week project team. If you're managing a 12-person team, those 12 people, where they are in school, how they did in their soccer game last week, then as far as I'm concerned, you are a, you know, intimacy, kindness, thoughtfulness, that is the essence of leadership. The, my One of my very favorite stories is the day before D-Day in June of 1944, the flamboyant leader of the British soldiers, uh, Lord, eventually Lord uh, Montgomery, uh, made, it was said, one of the finest motivational speeches that has ever been made. Uh, the head of all the Allied troops, uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, General Eisenhower, went down to the beach, walked among the troops, put his arm around them, muttered a couple of words, uh, and that was it. And, you know, I read this in a Eisenhower biography, and the Eisenhower biography cited uh, uh, some kind of diary that one of the soldiers had had. And the line about Eisenhower was, he was so attached to his soldiers that parents were willing to send their sons to die for him. And, you know, because, and I'm kind of emphasizing this because Every now and then we still find the old-fashioned manager who says, you know, being nice is not what this is all about. It's about output. Uh, well, that person can go stuff it as far as I'm concerned. And obviously what I've just said in the last four or five minutes is true times 100, if not mm -hmm. times 1,000 as we, uh, uh, you know, face this coronavirus uh, monster uh, that, that all of us have to deal with. So MBWA doesn't have much to do with walking. It has everything in the world to do with intimacy. Yeah, and I, and I think your point, though, about, about texting and messaging like that is, is so true because, I mean, how many times have you sent an email or a text message or whatever, and somebody totally interprets it in a manner in which you did not intend or never thought in a million years that they could have interpreted it that way, but yet somehow they do? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you a funny story about email. Uh, I have or my wife and I have we're for taxes and so on, an accountant who helps us. And for various reasons, we changed accountants. Uh, and I get emails from them, obviously, upon some more or less regular occasion. 
And by about the fifth email, I realized that every email started with hi, Tom, comma, space, and then the text. And then afterwards, regards or have a good day, comma, Barbara. And I thought to myself, you know, this really matters. You know, so much of the time when you sit down to do an email, let alone a message, you've got something urgent on your mind. I want to tell you something and I want to pass this on. I want to pass it on right now. Uh, so, you know, and I just think, and I've totally, even if it's a one-line email, I have totally stolen that from my friend Barbara and her colleagues. And it's just a, you know, little teeny touch of humanity. Uh, but, you know, one of my favorite quotes in the world comes from uh, Henry Clay. And the good, the bad news is I can't remember what the quote was. Mm. But what I do remember is Clay's comment was, it is the little touches that stick the longest in our minds. And I think that's really the case. And, you know, the, the, other, the other thing about the email thing is, for God's sakes, I mean, num num number one rule is never put the address on until the end as the last thing to make sure you don't do something inadvertent, which we all have. That's a great tip. Yeah, absolutely. I once I had blown one of those and I gave a speech at a conference and I said, you know, you guys are paying a lot of money for me to be here and I'm going to earn all that money in the first five minutes and then I might go home. And told them about a major boo-boo that I had had made with you know with an address, uh, but I don't think emails have to match Van Gogh or Picasso. But I I talked I I made a comment that was pretty audacious, and then I checked it with a good friend who was a really high-powered shrink to see if I was completely out of my mind. I said, if you will take leader X and you will send me a random selection of 10, 10 line emails, I believe that I can do a full scale psychiatric evaluation of that person from just those 10 emails. Cold, but he said, he said, yeah, probably eight. And I found my quote, by the way. Uh, this is Henry Clay. Courtesies of a small and trivial character are the ones which strike deepest in the grateful and appreciating heart. And that's a power, you know, power sentence, if ever. Yeah, especially in trying times like this. This is a time where managers actually really need to show empathy and uh, maybe a little bit of lenience, you know, consideration, maybe a little bit, you know, work a little harder at that because we really need to let our, our people know that we care about them and their health and their families. And we understand that they have high anxiety as, as well. And to take all that stuff into, into consideration. And so the soft skills I got to believe right now are, are really in play. And that's one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on the show today. Well, I, I, I got somebody sent me a paper because they know my interests and it was about a healthcare group and they started hiring for empathy first credentials second. And in this particular area that had to do with home health care and so on. And, 
you know, I can send you the paper because I'm not lying about the numbers. The average annual turnover in that area is 50 to 77 percent. One year after they changed their hiring practices, their turnover was 1.7 percent. Wow. And hospitalizations of their patients had gone down by something like 60 percent. And uh, it was just, you know, it was a stunning story. But I, I genuinely believe, particularly in terms of promotion to leadership and first line management, EQ is always, 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 always number one. You know, there's a guy, and I quoted him in the Excellence Dividend book, who's the CEO of a, uh, you know, modern, newish pharmaceutical company. And he said, we only hire nice people. And he said, biology. He said, the reality is there are a lot of people around who have those degrees. So don't hire the jerks. Mm-hmm. Uh, public setting. But he said, I only have one rule for hiring. What the missing letters are, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, and, and I, I really, I mean, this, this pharmaceutical with high intellects, I'm big degrees and so on. He said, he sits down with him, the CEO. You know, your intelligence and so on. But he said, after they finish interviewing me, and this is an old-fashioned term, but he's for 10 minutes, receptionist to the, you know, mid-level person in the finance department to what have you. And he said, we do it with 10 or 15 or 20 of those interviews. And every single one of those interviewers, including, let us say, the receptionist, can blackball that person with his PhD from MIT and God only knows what chemistry. And if they blackball them, the person's not in. And, you know, I I think that ought to be the case for all hiring, frankly. Uh, And I don't know what it means about the life future of people with low EQs, but you know, if I'm running my restaurant or running my consulting company, uh, top of the list, what kind of a human being is it? I mean, there was a, there's another quote that I used from the very famous uh, former Michigan uh, football coach, University of Michigan football coach, Bo Schembechler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did pretty well on that pronunciation. Not bad, for, not bad. For, for uh, Easterner. Um, but at any rate, uh, what he said is he said, I always, I always look to recruit good people. He said, you know, really decent people. And he said, time and time again, and year in and year out, my good people outperformed the people who, you know, could throw a football 197 yards without raising a sweat or something. And he said, not only that, but then the greatest pleasure was that those are the kinds of people who went somewhere after they left our program, not meaning the pros, but in life. And so, Tom, if you have low EQ, what the future holds for them, the future holds for them to be replaced by computers and AI. 
I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I read something that said, you know, that's that's just true for the $175,000 a year, 24-year-old Stanford PhDs who are working for Google. You know, the stuff that they can do in a coding room, AI has, you know, it's not tomorrow, it's not the day after tomorrow, but you're right. The the time frame is limited at some at some level. It's, it's a positive, not a negative. You know, all we got left as human beings is the EQ half. Audrey, what do you think about that? Well, I'm actually more curious about in real time snapshot, Tom, what you think managing through this crisis looks like, say, uh, let's give it 30 days. So April 20th, this will have gone live before then. Yeah. Um, if your team whittled away to stay solvent, how do you deal with that? What other scenarios do you envision unfolding and how do you deal with it? Yeah, one, one, one thing I don't want to be at this time, Audrey, is glib. If you are talking about a 10 table, cool little restaurant in your community, and to do the renovation in the small building, op, whatever you want to call it, the restaurant uh, space, you had to mortgage the house and take out a second mortgage. Uh, there is no way in the world that I am going to have a conversation with you two and give that person tips. You know, the people who work for him or her, who are most likely many of them living on a shoestring and our friend the restaurant owner with her or his new second mortgage uh you know i it looks like the government may be a little bit helpful with those things uh but ain't gonna get no glib answers out of me uh for those folks you know i read an article yesterday and i think this number is right but i certainly wouldn't want to be held to it they're something like 700,000 people in the United States who are housekeepers on the front line and they're in trouble. I mean, I will, I will say one, there is one thing I will say that business is not about profit. It is about creating value. And if you do it right, the profit will mostly follow. So what I will say to the business person who did not take out the second mortgage and you've got 14 terrific people and you know they're short on insurance and they're short on this or what have you dip into period i am not very interested in your bank account staying good over the course of the next four or five months you owe it to your team I'm not suggesting that you have to, you know, send your house into receivership, but you know, I'm I'm looking with a, you know, really uh cynical eye at the CEOs of some of these giant companies who are laying people off by the thousands. That is bullshit. If you are sitting as a CEO who with stock options up the kazoo, even if they're less worth 30% less this week, today than they were last week and you've got a bank account which is you know 170 million dollars and if you lay frontline people off you are a first 
class, lifelong son of a bitch in my book. And, you know, this is the time when you step up to the plates with human beings. This is the time when you forget about short-term or maybe even mid-term profitability and do your job. Uh, you know, there's the guy whose name I can't pronounce, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who, you know, invented the idea of organizational flow and so on. And he had a book, he wrote a book called Good Business. He's really a superstar. And in it, uh, he said, the purpose of business is to increase human well-being. Mm -hmm. Business is about service, period. And I want the leaders to hurt as bad as they have to hurt and take care of the front line people, no matter how much it hurts. If you go bankrupt a year from now, I'm really sorry, but for God's sakes, be a decent human being. You know, David Brooks wrote a column. Uh, that was one of the most powerful things that I had ever read. He said, there are two kinds of virtues, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Hmm. And the resume virtues are the fact that you graduated summa cum laude from the Stanford Business School. The uh, eulogy virtues was that Jane went out of her way to help people, no matter what the situation was. You know, I have some, and this is this is not about money, but this is about you know human practice group that I work with, which shall run na remain nameless. And during the uh, crash of 0678, uh, for the first time in their history, they had to do layoffs. And I remember talking to somebody who had observed the process. And they said, Christine was so incredible about dealing with people who had to be laid off that usually at the end, it was the laid off employee who was given Christine the You know, if, if if you've got a healthy bank account and it has to be unhealthy to help seven housekeepers or seven busboys or whatever it is, uh, you know, do what you have to do and what you can do. And, uh, you know, work, work on this is the time to work on those eulogy virtues. Yeah, all the things you've written and you've spoken about over the decades, Tom, that is probably my favorite thing that I've ever heard you say. Well, that's, uh, that's very kind, but I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm not in a sour mood. I nope, well, you're uh, very passionate get terrified about by everybody else, but I'm in a sour yeah. mood when I see these giant companies doing things they don't have to do. That makes sense. We are so, I mean, there, you know, it's fascinating, Audrey, there was this, uh, it's, it's, again, it's in the excellence dividend, um, uh, Fortune magazine has a hundred best companies to work for list every year. And a couple of years ago, the list had been around for something like 20 years. And they found that there were only 12 companies that had been a best company to work for. Uh, this will take us back to the Ritz Carlton, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. only 12 companies that had been on the list every year. And what I loved about it, was seven of those 12 companies were in areas where supposedly you can't afford to pay people well. 
hospitality, uh, food service, and so on and so on. And here's, here's the kicker. So you got a jillion companies, 20 years, 12 make the cut, uh, and the, you know, the fortune people went around trying to figure out, well, what did these 12 companies have in common? And unless you read the article or unless I said it the last time we talked, uh, there's no way in hell that you would ever guess the answer. The answer was the only thing they have in common is high benefits for part timers. Hmm. Only thing in common. And, you know, when, when I read that, I was, you know, sitting there reading the paper version of Fortune. And honest to God, I think I teared up. It was just incredible. You know, part-timers, I think it was at Nordstrom, get 18 days worth of, uh, you know, paid leave, stuff you just wouldn't believe. And the part-timer, and it's a big, bloody deal, because one of the companies that made it on that top 12 was Publix, the grocery company headquartered in Florida. And Publix has 50 thousand part-timers and yet they treated them as if they were you know real human beings and, I, and i'm afraid i am tragically afraid that that's the exception not the rule well i hope we get to talk to you again tom and we all make this through this and we wish you you know safety and wellness and we're so just so blessed to have you you know join us with some of your thinking on all this today obviously we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime so your thoughts duly noted sir and very valuable thank you well i i thank you very much for the you know for the opportunity because uh as i said in my last answer i think uh when we talk about leadership this is the time for leaders to really step up uh and the and the opportunity is always there you know it's the, the that metaphorical mbwa that we started with well listen thank you guys for inviting me and uh, i enjoyed Thanks, it very man. much well said okay, sir take care Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.